are listening to K is for Kinky. We're your friendly neighborhood kinksters, and today we're talking about sex. Hello, and welcome to the K is for Kinky podcast. This podcast discusses adult topics, so if you are offended by adult topics or are under the age of 18, please stop listening now. Also, while Miss Jen is a therapist, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not to be taken as personal therapy for you. She is not your therapist. And if she is your therapist, just remember that what she says only technically counts in your private sessions. So Miss Jen is really tired tired because she took the kids to school this morning, early in the morning, and she has never recovered. I had to scrape, I don't care what Tussle said, ice off my windshield. They said it's frost. I say it doesn't matter. The point is I had to stop and use an old library card Ooh. and scrape it off and it made us late and it wasn't nice um oh my god what's funny about miss jen is that she is fairly uncomfortable with sex i'm not uncomfortable you get uncomfortable often no it's i have a lot more things to think about than you do like as a therapist i'm out there i might have clients listening to this podcast and if they knew that you they might not need to know these things my mom she knew when she started listening to our podcast (laughs) what this was just saying i'm just saying this is a kinky world you're a kink therapist and if people can't handle hearing that you have sex (laughs) then they probably are in the wrong line i want to talk about how kink and sex do not have to intersect as well I think that we can totally talk about that, um, but I would be remiss if we didn't do if we did an episode about sex and I didn't bring up your awkwardness surrounding it at all times. Like I said, it's not really necessarily awkwardness. It's just thinking about who could be I don't listening. Know. My sexual advancements never land with you. You just kind of that's not awkwardness. It's just you just you're just me setting jerk. boundaries. <laughs> I might leave. What are we out. talking about? Sex. No, and kink. Yeah, and kink. Like, okay, what do you want to talk about with it? The sex part of it. Today we're talking about sex. How are you going to bring kink into it? I'm working on that. <laughs> Take it away. You're such a butt face. You're like, here, Eden, carry the podcast. Um, But no, that is really what's going to happen. I'm going to have to carry this podcast because Miss Jen's going to nope out of sex talk. Um, A lot of people, when they think about kink and BDSM, they think it's a sex thing. I cannot tell you how much I regret telling my boss at a child care center that I worked at that I was involved in BDSM outside of the workplace because to me it's a lifestyle choice that has nothing to do with sex inherently and to her it was probably like oh great I hired a sexual deviant to work with kids like it's really difficult to talk about kink and BDSM with vanilla people because they just assume we're sex crazed lunatics who also are into like blood and gore while sex is happening. Like they basically see us as a bunch of like demonic sexual miscreants. So it's and kind it of. It can be those things. It can be those things, but like. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be, and it often isn't. When it comes to it being a lifestyle choice, or you being involved in the lifestyle beyond just like dipping your toes in from time to time to like experience it, it usually goes beyond sex and it usually like friendships and bonds and the way that we do things like it it tends to be a much larger thing than simply sex um people often assume that kink is inherently sexual and i feel like that assumption causes a ton of damage outside of the scene and inside of the scene and i want to kind of talk about this so hear me out on this for a second Our assumption that kink is sexual, even though many of us know that that's not true, causes a lot of damage inside of the scene in terms of people who come in who have this sort of 
um, drive to sexually pursue everybody around them and to combine that in their minds with kink. When the wires get crossed between kink and sex and people don't understand that they can be separated, we get a lot of confusion inside of scenes and during scene negotiations. And we also get some pretty predatory behavior, intentional or not, from people who are seeing all possible play conquests as sexual conquests. Because I'll tell you, I know a lot of people who come into the scene who are not wanting to necessarily be pursued sexually. They might just be wanting to experience the scene itself or like play. Um, And there's this huge pressure on female body people in particular anytime they walk into any dungeon space um, because they just sort of, we we become kind of targets for um, sexual fetishization and also like, you know, you never know when somebody has to play with you if they want to play with you or if they want to fuck you. Well, that was abrupt. Um, But that's the thing. Like when people (laughs) assume that kink and sex have to go together, this is what it leads to. It leads to spaces that don't always feel very safe because some people who don't want to be sexually objectified automatically are. Well, and I was going to say is that there's there's definitely a section of peeps who only want to play if there's sex involved, right? That's fine as long as it is expressed up front <laughs> in the negotiation um, and that the problem comes in that you're talking about, I think, too, is that when somebody is new – and they don't know that that's not necessarily the norm or that there's no other option that, and I've heard of this happening where they happen upon one of the types of people that has to have sex as a part of their scenes. And they assume because they just are new and don't know any better that that's the only way people play. Even if that person includes it in the negotiation up front, the person might think, Oh, I guess This is just a part of what happens. And I think it's really important as far as part of informed consent that it's like, hey, like this doesn't have to happen with other people. But with me, this is a requirement. This is what I expect. And it's okay if that's not for you. Right. And I think that's part of what can happen or or part of what should happen um, in terms of especially if somebody's playing with somebody who's new and might not know any better. Right. I feel pretty strongly about this topic only because I know a lot of people who feel unsafe or objectified um, by those who are only really looking for sex when they play or who need sex when they play. Um, One, no, it's not wrong. Like, I love, love having sex with play personally, Um, but only with people I trust. Well, and that you're already sexual with. Yeah, exactly. I think that's something we share in terms of. I would need to really have a relationship with somebody and also would need to be consensual and we would need to be open to it, which we're not at this time. Well, I know, but like we both are like, I'll tell this to people I'm playing with like, hey, I don't include sexual acts in my scenes unless we are in a sexual relationship outside of play. Yeah. I think that's a pretty cool rule and that works for me. But like, I don't want to discount the fact that there are lots of people out there who just really love sex and there's nothing wrong with that. But here's what I'm going to say about it for a second. It's very easy to cross the line from what you think is flirting into harassing somebody. It's easy if you're not good at spotting the nuances of somebody's discomfort. So already, if you are approaching somebody in a dungeon because you want to play with them and you have this other aspect of that motive that is sexual, 
and you don't disclose it up front, even if you do, if they're new in particular, there is a level of pressure that comes from that. Um, and it, your motivation is very specific at that point. And you are more likely, in my opinion, if you're approaching somebody you're just meeting with a sexual um, goal, you're more likely to run the risk of making them uncomfortable or potentially making them feel targeted and harassed. Like, it's a really fine line. I'm not saying you can't flirt or have sexual desire for somebody, but I'm saying that automatically um, it increases your risk of doing something that's going to make someone uncomfortable, right? That's like the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is talking for a moment as a new top and as somebody who looks potentially at other people as maybe play partners or somebody I want to play with, right? I would never, period, never, approach somebody who I knew was new and try to incorporate heavy play with them, edge play with them, or sexual play with them. In fact, I mean, personally, I would not incorporate sexual behavior or sexual activity into a scene with somebody unless I had played with them multiple times and already knew them well enough to understand them. Because to me, sex is a form of edge play. Well, and I think we also, we haven't defined what you're talking about in terms of what sex is that you're referring to because I think you know not everything might fall under that category sensuality for sure I mean we can get into well even beyond sensuality Mm -hmm. even certain acts and things like that like having like penetrative sex with an object or digitally or something like that runs less risk than for example PIV sex. Right. Right. But I'm, I'm also talking about the emotion. Let's assume that the sex that you're going to be having is physically safe. Let's assume that you are going to be really on top of it. Everybody is like upfront about like sexual safety, <laughs> like condoms are used. Like let's assume in this imaginary set situation too, there's no possibility of contracting STIs. Let's assume it's the safest possible sex possible. Let's assume it. It's still not truly a safe or easy activity to incorporate sex or sexual touch into scenes because of the emotional and mental stuff that can occur as a result. It is a higher risk activity, in my opinion. Um, And I certainly, as a top, if I was somebody who needed sex in scenes, which I do not, but if I was, I would never target a new person with that. And I say target specifically. If you know you're talking to somebody new and as the top, it's your job to find out how experienced somebody is, you discover you're talking to somebody who's brand new and you decide it's a good idea to move in sexually with them as opposed to giving them a chance to get their feet underneath them and giving them a chance to experience play without sex, you're already, in my opinion, sort of behaving like a predator. Because you, and I, I know it's a big statement, Ms. Jen's making a face, but I, I, I really strongly think that if somebody's brand new in the scene and you're prioritizing your sexual needs or your sexual wants, over them learning what's safe and good for them first. Like, you can easily be like, wow, I'm really attracted to you. I'd really like sex with you. Why don't we play once or twice and get to know each other? Why don't you go to some classes before I layer that into our our play? It's safety for the new so, person. I totally hear what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree. I am also aware, though, of I don't want to sex shame anyone. And just because somebody is new to kink doesn't mean that they're new, not just to sex, like not, I'm not talking about virgins or whatever, but like, (laughs) it doesn't mean that they're not like somebody could be, for example, in the swinger scene for however long, and they might not be as involved in kink stuff, but they might be very confident in and comfortable 
in meeting somebody brand new and including sexual acts in in their scene, even if the kink aspect is new to them or done a little bit lighter or whatever. And I just, I don't want to take that agency away completely, even though I 100% hear what you're saying. Um, and I think that if somebody is new to everything, not again, I'm not talking about like the Christian Grey going after a virgin kind of scenario, but like if somebody is really new to stuff and as long as their options, that's my whole thing, as long as all of their options are in front of them and they're not presented with this this is the way, um, even if it's, this is the way with me and you still don't have to choose to do this. Like there are plenty of other people that do this without these elements. That's more fair to me. Um, does that make sense? Like, no, I don't want to take away people's like personal agency no, to be sex makes, positive and like enjoy those things. It makes sense. I appreciate this adjustment to what I'm saying because, I don't really think from that perspective as much, and I feel like that is very fair to add that in. But, like, also – so, like, if you're talking to somebody as a top and you find out that they're a swinger and they have a lot of experience in that, maybe at that point you factor it in. But I'm just saying for me as a top, I'm not willing to perpetuate a pattern with people where I'm interacting with people who are new to the scene and my first goal is to make sure I have sex with them. Yeah. Like that is a recipe for developing a bad reputation as a top and for harming people as a top. I think it just really comes down to thorough negotiation and talking to that person. Yeah. You well, know? what I'm basically saying, generally speaking, is that it's a good idea to not automatically go straight to sex with a new person. And if that's something that you want, you should absolutely be overt about it. The reality is I have rarely heard of a top who does what Miss Jen just illustrated, who is who is known for sexually pursuing new people. A lot of tops who have a reputation for picking up newbies um, and, you know, playing with them and having sex with them. Um, they're not necessarily well known for giving them lots of options and making sure that they know all of the choices available to them. They're not well known for that. They're well known for deliberately picking people with whom they have a, a natural power imbalance and exploiting that power imbalance. And that's like this other thing of like, Miss Jen brought up this really great point about agency for the new person. Like, yeah, new people are adults. They're adults. They're not children. We're not dealing with like teenagers and adults. We're dealing with adults and adults. And yet, to pretend like there isn't a power imbalance between somebody who is experienced and who knows their way around the scene and somebody who is new is basically to overlook one of the biggest problems in the scene today, which is experienced people intentionally or accidentally doing things with new people that causes harm and has severe repercussions like to me as the top the reason I say that I would not even even if I was somebody who needed sex in a scene the reason I say I would probably stay away from newbies or like wait and develop um, some sort of friendship with the new person before exploring that is not only for the safety of that person but it's also for the safety of myself like I don't want to take a risk and develop a reputation. And I also don't want to take a risk and make somebody uncomfortable when by being extra cautious, I know for sure that I'm doing it better. Like I'm doing it the better way by being cautious. Like, yes, it is possible that you will meet a new person if you're a top who's experienced that wants to have sex with you from the word go. It is possible that they are experienced and there's nothing exploitative at all about it. It's possible. It's also not necessarily the norm and just because it's possible doesn't necessarily mean that that should be the, your go-to. 
you know, and that's kind of, I tend to play it more on the safe side. Like I'm no, not going to be too. I just don't want anybody to feel targeted or like, no, I, I, I hear that. And like, that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm saying, of course there are going to be exceptions. And of course there are times that what I'm saying isn't okay. correct, yeah. but why I'm saying what I'm saying is because I am trying to point out it's better to play it safe and it's more responsible to play it safe than it is to be basically doing edge play with people you don't know well just because you find out that they're down for sex or worse you don't know that they're down for it you just add that into your negotiation you just go for it anyways I bring up that point just to bring it up because I'm also on the same side of this which if anybody knows me they know that I'm always leaning towards the side of side of safety um and I think it's not something that that necessarily needs to be rushed if it's going to happen you can lead up to it um and you're right the there's a on the venn diagram of people uh you know tops or just more experienced people in the scene who are doing it to be crass to get laid um those aren't the people that typically are coming from the 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 best place in terms of looking out for the other person well yeah i mean to me if you're a top your responsibility first and foremost is to be safe like that's the first, that's literally like the bare minimum is that you should be making sure that you are a safe person and that you are providing safety for other people you're interacting with. And if you can't do that or if your desires or your wants are more important than that person's safety and their experience, you probably need to look at that. But um, this has been kind of like a little bit like of a like part of the conversation. Um, I want to talk about the fact that sex with kink is a fucking beautiful thing. I want to talk about the fact that many of us in the scene identify as sexually oriented in a kink direction. Like Miss Jen identifies as sadisexual or sadistically sexual. Like sadism is part of her being able to be sexually aroused. I feel, I'm looking at you as I'm talking about it and you're just like, look so bored out of your mind. You're like, yeah, what else? What have it? Well, because I was going to go in the other direction of kink without sex. So I'm just waiting. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Well, I'll represent kink with sex. You represent kink without. <laughs> um, I think that kink with sex is super gratifying. Um, there's something so connecting and so like arousing for a lot of us about kink. Like there are things that we do. Like recently I wore a hood at home and was like immediately like, oh, that does it for me. And I had no idea that would do it for me, okay, by the people way. People are going to be thinking about a hoodie. So why don't you explain what It's you a mean. full <laughs> face hood. So like it covered my entire face and was strapped around my head. So like it was full sensory deprivation, essentially. Like think about, you know, bring out the gimp kind of. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like the way it looked in pictures afterwards, but that's not really important when you're in the moment. It's not even, that's kind of the point. Like you're completely removed from self-perception, but I was surprisingly affected by that. And we had negotiated not to have sex that night with the scene, but I definitely wanted to and like had a reaction. Like, I feel like it's so important to acknowledge that sex can enhance scenes, can enhance connection and can cement DS for people as well. Like, I have a need for sex in my DS relationship. Like if our relationship had no sex in it, I would not be able to be fulfilled in the relationship. It's something that for me is part of power exchange and a way of demonstrating, um, you know, primal behavior kind of. I also just think that there's something very sexy about what we do in scenes. Even for people who I know who are ace or on the ace spectrum, 
who get basically sexual gratification just from the scene alone. Even if they're not engaging in like traditionally sexual behavior, the scene is the sexual behavior for them. The play is the sexual behavior. So I find that really fascinating. And I feel like even though we started off this conversation being kind of like harsh about people who prioritize sex at all costs when they're interacting with other people – um sex is still fucking bomb and to be able to have that in a scene as long as you're like doing it safely as long as you're safe and you're all consenting and like nobody is exploiting another person sex is amazing there's nothing wrong with wanting sex to be in your scenes there's nothing wrong with having your scene be primarily about sex and then layering in ds or power exchange or like masochism and sadism on top like i feel like a lot of vanilla people experience the hints of BDSM that way. They have sex and they layer in aspects of sadism and masochism or even just power exchange. And for them, maybe that's what kinky is and it's still valid as kink, you know? So that's what I mean by like a lot of vanilla people assume that BDSM play is sexual because for many vanilla people, that's their entrance point. And many kinksters, for many of us, it is sexual. also all that's shown in media. Like it's... Yeah, I think what, what... many vanilla people don't know or don't conceptualize is that for some of us in the scene the play itself is sex like without sex at all the play is actually gratifying it's not i am pointing out a possibility (laughs) you can represent your side in a second i'm just saying i'm talking about playing with friends and stuff like it doesn't have to be sexual at all or even sensual i'm just saying i know you're really excited to talk about how kink and play are not sexual well, and this is coming from – so I'm somebody who, like – don't have to be. Not that they're not. I used to identify for a little while as, like, hypersexual, and I thought about it, and I realized that simply by comparing myself to Miss Jen, I thought I was hypersexual. <laughs> She's on the ace spectrum. So, like, for her to have a sexual connection is rare, and I feel like in some ways with our sexual connection, she ha- she feels like she needs to maintain it. And I don't always – sometimes I think it naturally is coming from a place of, like, I want this, but, like, I would say probably like two or three times a year – from her does it come from naturally within herself i personally am pursuing this usually it's like me going like hi hi do you do you want this and then she'll be like i guess okay i also want popcorn like which is closer oh why do you have to bring up popcorn what if we had sex while you ate popcorn oh my god she's totally down <laughs> wow i just found a new kind of sex um i just found anyways so for her a lot of it's the inconvenience really it's like i don't want to be inconvenienced while having sex um but the point <laughs> god we're having a good time over here um the point is like would that be considered kinky i think it's kinky like for you popcorn? to completely <laughs> ignore me while eating popcorn well we've done that just not with the popcorn yes exactly i've watched tv thank you that's nice <laughs> That's the DS aspect. Um, so her watching TV while I take care of her is – Sorry. T- tell your mom she can't listen to this episode. <laughs> um, but, like, you doing that while I take care of you is a form of DS play. Honestly, it is. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun. Like, I, some of my favorite scenes have involved sex with us. I, I've had some scenes I've really enjoyed that didn't as well. Um, but that's kind of what I mean. Well, like, that's good because most of them don't. Yeah. But- I'm glad you enjoyed a couple of them. <laughs> God. I have I have I have a handful of scenes that are my absolute favorite and only about half of them have involved sex. Um, So, you know, it's kind of interesting because I feel like I totally get why a lot of people want sex from their scenes. And I understand sexual attraction being a driving force for how we choose play partners. But I also come from the stance of believing that sexuality and sexual attraction don't have to factor in at all to play. 
And that's kind of where Miss Jen's going to take the take the baton here. But I just wanted to, you know, say myself, I have friends that I play with. I have relationships that I'm forming and they're about the play and the connection. They are about intimacy. They're not actually necessarily about sex. And I'm very clear with the people I play with what we're intending and what energy we're bringing in. I'm clear about boundaries surrounding whether or not I want to have sex or like in, my, in our case, the answer is no, because we're not open to sexual play at this time. But like I have a male pl- person that I play with. He's fucking amazing. He's a wonderful human. He's a great top. And our scenes are very sensual. Um, I would not describe them as sexual, but they have that component. I'm comfortable with it because he he never crosses or violates a boundary with me we both get fed from the way that scene energy is right there's just so many flavors of kink bdsm and play and it's wonderful to share these things with your friends you know and i think there's a huge difference in the mindset of a person who is only seeking sexual play and a person who is seeking connection with other humans that interest them because suddenly the world is opened up when you go, I'm interested in connecting to other humans. That person interests me. I don't need sex from them. I just want to be able to do this activity with them. Then you are able to approach people almost from a polyamory standpoint where it's like, I approach you to offer what I have and to see what you have to offer back. Not I approach you with an ulterior motive and you're either going to meet my motive or I'm going to walk away. It's a little bit, it it broadens your scope of who you can and want to play with. And I would definitely say that most of the people that I've met in this scene have that secondary mindset of sex is enjoyable to layer with play, but I don't require sex to play. I have people I play with who I'm sexual with and I have people I play with who are my friends. I have people I play with who are my friends who I'm sexual with. Like there's lots of different ways to layer it over. But I tend to prefer interacting with people who don't see romance and sex as inherent and like integral to their scenes. It's about understanding the environment you're in before jumping in. Um, Fun anecdote. Oh, good. The one time that I felt most creeped out on was by a woman yeah you talked about this before this is actually good one women need to be held accountable to the same standard as men it's just that cis men are often the most obvious and talked about perpetrators of some things like this but women do it too and many times the people that they do it to don't speak out i think especially when it is a woman they assume that they're they're going to get away with it as well because they're, just because they're a woman i've talked to women who know that about themselves who have actually literally said oh i can do it because of this and it's yeah. like you can't you shouldn't but yeah no I, I mean i didn't want to go into details about it but just basically it's a good story. it was you know at a munch that um the first time i met this i guess i'll go into details um i won't name the person but i won't even say which munch i was at but this was like i don't know 10 12 years ago and I was at a munch and it was the very first time I was meeting this woman. Um, and I was actually talking to her partner first, just chit chatting. And that was fine. But she came over and basically was looking me up and down like I was a piece of steak and she was starving on an island and made some comments about how it would be great to have me at her parties or whatever. And it was like, it made me feel 100% objectified and gross. And there might be other people that would react to that. I'm sure there are because at that point it's a numbers game. But 
I felt totally grossed out and turned off um, by that situation. And when you've had other experiences with the same person where they've touched been the, Well, consent. I was just going to say, yeah. like, it's just, you know, every time I run into them, either I come away feeling the same way or I observe them treating others the same way. And well, so, yeah, yeah, it it can be, it doesn't. Well, and this person be might be thinking I'm being flirtatious. And like, I myself, I have made. I know of a time in my past where I've made somebody uncomfortable. I thought I was flirting and they didn't feel good about it. And um, this was like back in college, you know, and like I really regret it. And I learned from that experience how risky it is to be flirtatious and especially how important it is if you are going to be flirting with somebody to notice early on, like, are they showing signs of not being comfortable? Um, And just to be careful, too, if there's a power difference between you and that person, because then it makes it even worse. If there's a power difference between you and that person, they might not feel safe telling you they're uncomfortable. Their yes might be a coerced yes, even if you don't realize it's coercive. Like, this is why I kind of tend to approach all of these things from a super, like, be careful, careful, careful standpoint. Like, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, Okay, like if you're going to run the risk of like flirting with people on occasion, just make sure you're not like laying it on thick, being hyper persistent and like pushing that person into a corner where they have to openly reject you, you know, like. Well, and if you're flirting with somebody in a way that is very objectifying. That's the other issue. Yeah. (laughs) That could be a clue. (laughs) Well, it's kind of hard too, because like on the topic of flirting, like whether you're trying to get sex or you're just trying to, I don't know, let them know you're available. I don't know. But on the topic of something like that, like it's kind of hard in the scene to know sometimes because sometimes with your friends, it's normal to be a little bit playful. It's normal to be interested in somebody's kinks in certain environments. And like it does take a certain amount of like ability to read social cues. Like some well, people just being aware of your energy around. Yeah. It. And like this can happen where like we all can make mistakes. And I want to be gentle about that piece. Like. There will be times when we misread things on other people and they are uncomfortable. And all you can do in that circumstance is go, well, I made a mistake. I didn't notice you were uncomfortable. I need to work on that. I'm sorry I made you uncomfortable. I'm going to take this and, and think on this. As long as you weren't yourself being overtly super sexual or like super aggressive, typically apologizing, owning, I didn't know that that made you uncomfortable. I'm going to fix that. That should be enough. But if you are going out there and you're actively perpetuating things like this, or you're being super sexual or super persistent with not only one person, but lots of people, or if you're known for pursuing, for instance, new people and you're an experienced person, and that becomes a pattern, like that is what gets people in trouble. And that is what makes people feel unsafe around you. Um, And I guess we can't really have a talk about sex and kink without bringing this up you know we can't really touch on it because I feel like the sexual drive is behind why so many people charge right past the safe zone into making people uncomfortable we have this strong drive sexual attraction and and things like that it's a big factor in why we choose to go go towards certain people over others you know and in the scene which is kind of built for trying to find play partners. Like a lot of people go to parties simply to find play partners. Like a lot of it is like that. It's really murky when it comes to wanting sex from people because it's not wrong to want that. It's not wrong to ask for that, but you need to be careful how you go about that. You need to be respectful and you should not assume that every person standing in a dungeon wants sex or that they want it from you. So I want to talk about non-sexual scenes with like friends and stuff they exist they're awesome (laughs) and most of the play that i've done has been non-sexual 
Well, and it can be it can be fun. Like, I mean, I think about like I had a scene as a as a bottom. I had a scene with a friend of mine who was 100 percent platonic friend, um, basically like a brother to me. Right. And it the the scene that as far as my memory goes, the scene consisted of because he was a rope guy. Put me in rope and then was just like hitting me with stuff. But the entire time we were both cracking up like it was a very like fun, joyful, like lighthearted scene. Yet it stands out in my brain because it was really fun. It didn't have to be one serious. It didn't have to be hardcore and it also didn't have to be sexual or even with somebody that I was sexual with. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to do that. And most of the people that I've played with, well, let me let me explain that for me, I don't do like pickup play. Um, so most of the people that I play with are usually people that I'm in a relationship with. Um, but I have done plenty of scenes with people who are just friends so while I don't have perhaps as large of a resume of (laughs) people that I've played with outside of those I've been in a relationship with I do have that experience and so many of those experiences and scenes are really positive experiences and still have those same elements of connection and emotional intimacy, friendship intimacy, and creating an experience with somebody who you enjoy on a platonic level. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think, you know, I, I, th- I do think if you're only wanting to play with somebody that you have sex with, honestly, like, I'd say you're missing out. Did you know that we have an Instagram which many of you are not following yet. And we really would love your support. We would love your comments. We'd love your likes. Um, we might even reply to you in video form. It could happen. If you comment, if you comment. on our post, we will potentially be replying to you in a freaking video format. So if you want to see our faces and hear the Your name of- come out of our mouth. Yeah. <laughs> you should be helping us out there. So please give our Instagram um, a quick visit. We are K is for Kinky on Instagram. And without the episode, boop, boop, boop. We talk about this in the love languages, but play is a form of love language in the scene that can span, run the gambit from being casually like getting to know you, platonic, romantic, sexual, um, intimate. Like play is a great form of communication and connection. Um, and it and practicing. Yeah, Sometimes and, you just and, want to practice something yeah. on somebody that you trust. <laughs> Inhibiting play of all sorts to only people you are sexually interested in or romantically interested in or like capable of feeling like those types of attractions to, it is really inhibiting. And also it can be very objectifying. So like I'm going to bring up an example for a second. High protocol spaces are really interesting for play and scenes because a high protocol scene might never have any impact in it at all. High protocol has a lot to do with the power exchange of DNS and it has a lot to do with acts of service and receiving acts of service. It has a lot to do with headspace. It can, of course, involve other things. High protocol can involve sex and play, but it doesn't have to. And the type of play can be, I feel like the focus in high protocol is often not so much on impact play or on that type of play. A lot of it's on mental 
mental play and mental headspace, right? We've had a situation recently where um, somebody in our group, like, basically said that they prefer to receive service only from women or people who seem to be female enough to them. And I say it that way because we can't control the bodies you're born into. And many of us who present as feminine or, you know, face that way, it doesn't necessarily mean that we identify that way. Um, and to have somebody look at your body and assume you are female and I see you as female and even you telling me you're not doesn't matter to me. I only see your femaleness. That's a form of objectification that often for non-binary and trans people is not wanted. And for many women um, is not wanted. It's not wanted to only be seen as your gender or your body. This person basically said, like, I only, I prefer service. I, I can enjoy service from other people, but I prefer service from women and people I perceive to be women. And it was. Basically, it's, I enjoy service from anyone, but I particularly enjoy service from somebody who I could be physically attracted to. Yeah. And the reason the statement was especially harmful was because it was in response to a non-binary person saying, I really feel unseen and overlooked in high protocol spaces and the reason i'm bringing it into this conversation right now is because the comment of i prefer female bodied people and women to serve me in a space where the play is should not be inherently sexual should not be inherently romantic in well, fact and there's not even you know if it's like a high protocol dinner there might not even be the possibility of play yeah. or anything else happening the preference for that suddenly makes very little sense because attraction romantically and sexually shouldn't be factoring into it at all. And your perception of gender or somebody's gender orientation shouldn't matter in terms of them offering service. It's a really limiting way to see people. And it, I, I'm just saying like a lot of people don't want to be automatically seen as sexual romantic objects for you. Well, and here's the thing, like everybody is allowed to have their preferences, of course. Right. And this person had has a preference for sexual relations, romantic relations with. Women I don't know exactly, but women, women. Yeah, I don't know if it necessarily is cis women, um, or at least I don't know, quote unquote, feminine enough for them. I'm not sure because we didn't delve into it with this person, but it's okay to have the preferences that you have like we're all going to be attracted to different types of people whether it's gender-based whether it's you know that's why we have sexual orientations right um whether it's just the looks of somebody or the attitude of somebody or whatever it might be heck you can have a preference for the clothes somebody wears right i mean everybody's going to have their preferences and it's not so much that i would expect this person not to have their own preferences but to say that <laughs> to a group of people who are not just cisgendered people, that's the piece that is harmful, um, especially in a space like High Protocol where it's about the service. It, that's the focus is the service. And to me, if somebody is you know, refilling my coffee, I'm going to look at, hey, this person just refilled my coffee. And that's fantastic, right? I'm not really looking at, well, but do I want to have sex with this person? <laughs> like, who cares? Well, <laughs> They're giving I... me my coffee, right? It's like, it's it's about the service and about that high protocol. And 
So to state, well, I prefer to get that service from somebody that I might also want to sleep with. It just, it's not necessary to state that. But I think what you're focusing on while it's valid is kind of like, to me, the issue is actually the preference in that setting. I think it's not. We wouldn't know it unless he said it. Well, yeah. And yes, there is a (laughs) sense of like social etiquette involved in having said that in this space, but it's not a social etiquette issue. It comes down to why on earth would it matter to you who is offering you service? Well, that's that's what I'm trying to say. It's like it's almost like if I'm going to make some assumptions, which I'm going to preface with assumptions, that maybe the preference is there because as that person, whoever they are, you know, kneels in front of them and offers a cup of water, maybe in their head, they prefer that to be somebody that they would be open to sleeping with because in their head, they can imagine some scenario as they're giving them that service and that curls their toes as opposed to somebody who they wouldn't want that. I'm making assumptions, but I'm just saying like, maybe that's why there's some preference there. I don't know. I'm trying to guess why. We don't have to guess why, although it is an interesting guessing game because I would argue in that sense, like I can't control what other people think, but I would certainly hope that people that respect me as a human aren't constantly sexual, sexu- would appreciate the service, aren't constantly sexually objectifying yeah. me in their mind. That would be disappointing You'd to find hope. out. I would hope, but like the reason I say it's it's not just that this person said it; it's also that this person genuinely feels that way, and that there are people who genuinely are so whatever it is uncomfortable, threatened, unable to process the separation between gender sexual orientation and kink that it gets to the point where there are certain types of play like high protocol that in our setting at least are actually stringently clear that it is not sexual unless it is it is not a sexual interaction (laughs) unless you have negotiated that it is it is not a romantic situation unless you've negotiated that it is it is not a place to pick up people it is a place to do high protocol period and for that to still be factoring into this person's mind or into anybody's mind of, I care about the gender of the person offering me service. That's when it becomes, one, transphobia, but two, it also becomes problematic as in, like, are you unable truly to separate sex from kink? Well, and I guess my point is, if they're thinking that that's a them problem, if they're speaking that, however, that's an other people problem. And that's where I have an issue with it because we can't control what somebody's thinking. We can't control, no. you know, a visceral reaction to something based on aesthetic, right? Like we can't control that. The issues that that person might be having around that, that's their shit to deal with, yeah. right? And we can only hope that they'd be open enough to take a look at that and look in the mirror of that. So therefore, what can we look at? What can we speak to? And to me, that's the piece that is okay, how do you treat other people? What do you say to other people? Because your behaviors, your actions, your words can harm. Yeah. Just because something is true for you. So for instance, like let's say that it was true for me, which it actually is not at this time, but at one point it was in my life. Let's say it was true for me that I don't trust men and find cis men to be threatening and basically two-dimensional to me. I don't want to interact with cis men. Let's say that that was something that I believed. That is a harmful thing to assume of all cis men, and it's a limiting thing. Now, maybe I was feeling that way because I've been targeted by cis men or cis men have made me feel unsafe in the world. 
generally speaking. But I challenged that notion inside of myself and I was careful as I was processing it for the most part not to overtly say those feelings to men because on some level I understood this is my shit to unpack. And as it happens... And you've been unpacking. I've been unpacking for years. I used to feel this way. I would have qualified myself as a misandrist back when I was in my early 20s. I'm 30 years old and for the last about seven years I've been working vigilantly to unpack and understand my fear of the masculine and to also work closely with cis men and to be friends with cis men because actually many of the people I love in my life are cis men. I've seen some miraculous human beings who are cis men. Um, But the point that I'm saying is like there's a difference between something being your truth and something being okay. It might have been true at that time that I was a misandrist and that I didn't trust men. But it wasn't okay for me to be prejudiced against all men. And I'm saying that because... Or for you to yell at a cis man for doing something that you took as uh, Okay, offensive. settle down, settle down. <laughs> Anyways, um, but what I'm saying is um, we all have things we have to work on. But what Ms. Jen's pointing out is it's problematic when you don't factor in or you're not self-aware that the things you hold as your truth are problematic and harmful. And like in this case that we brought up, this person... Being unable to separate his sexual desire, his romantic desire, or his preference, which is clearly connected in some way in his brain to those things. Like, it's problematic for him to not have been able to understand how harmful that would be to share with a group filled two-thirds of the way through with non-binary and trans people. It's problematic, and it becomes transphobic, or it becomes a problem when you have things in yourself that are really limiting your view of the world, And you go ahead and make sure other people know that that's how you see them and that you also think it's justified. And that's kind of, I think, that's kind of, I want to tie this back into the sex component. Like when I say from the, when I said from the very beginning, like it's kind of a problem if all you want is sex from scenes and you're unable to separate sex from kink. I think you can have both. You can really want sex from scenes and you can also understand kink for many people is separate and even if for you it's not you can be respectful of the fact that it's important to keep them separate until it's safe to pursue like that's kind of where I want to kind of land on this is understanding that whether we are sexual beings or not whether we're in a world that is hypersexual because kink for many is hypersexual like for many even people who don't necessarily want sex they might dress in a way that is more sexually freeing or you know more sexually provocative because they get to because they they want to maybe that's how they want to engage there's a lot of voyeurism in the scene a lot of a lot of things like that right but just because we're in a world that allows that to be more on the surface it doesn't mean that we have a right to treat all people in that space as sexual objects or conquests and i think it would be a healthier happier scene if people got like got it into their minds that it's important to get to know you first before they pursue. And again, flirtation is fine, but you need to be socially capable of understanding the nuance between flirtation and crossing a line. And if you aren't capable or if you make a mistake, you need to own it. If you're going to play the game where you are flirting with people, you need to understand that you do run a risk of making someone uncomfortable. There's a song we learn as children about don't bite your friends. How does that factor in? It does not apply in the kink world as long as you have consent. You can play with your friends. It doesn't have to be about sex. But it could be. And again, as somebody who likes sex, this episode is not 
to attack those who enjoy sex and scenes because I well, would be no. devastated if I couldn't have sex in my scenes. I think it's because most people already come in assuming that it's about sex. So we're yeah. trying to give the counterpoint. Like we recognize that, yes, that is already an assumption for many, many people. And it's the truth for many people. And there's another side to it. Yeah. That's all. To all our kinklings and friends, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Let us know our, your thoughts. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this and hopefully you have a great month of February. <gasps> yeah. The month of February. Yes, that is the month we're in. That's why we talk about sex. the month of your birth. It I is. I just wanted to point that oh, out. Oh, yeah. It is. I, I was born on February 29th. Yeah, so you don't actually get a birthday this year. Um. It's my last year of seven. <laughs> Next year I have a real birthday. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Miss Jen has to throw me a big palooza oh, because it's Lord. now an expectation. Because <sighs> the last time I had a leap year, she threw me a big palooza. So now I'm like, just expect every leap year. Yeah, to be more I started more with way too high of an expectation. Um, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you have a wonderful month and a wonderful week and a wonderful day. And I hope that this opens up some new ideas for your future play and friends and fun and all the things. So check us out everywhere. See you on the discords and the Instagrams. And we will let you hear us next time. I wanted to go ahead and shout out our amazing team who helped make this podcast possible. We, of course, have the lovely Tussled. Tussled writes hilarious notes after each episode, and we go ahead and we share those on our Instagram. If you're not following us on our Instagram, you should be. The cheeky notes are also on Discord. And Tussled also helps us with some research. We also have the wonderful Lena. Lena um, helps us. in Canada. Don't tell them where she lives. (laughs) Canada's big. That's not going to narrow it down. We're going to find her through that. <laughs> Lena's awesome. Um, Lena helps us a lot with running our Discord, and it's just such a great support. We really appreciate her. And then finally, we have a new member of our team whose name is Sid. Sid is yeah. great. Sid helped us design our Discord and is our tech person. He's our well, tech contact. He set up our, our server. Yeah, he's yes. our, our, point for, our, our tech point of contact. So we really yes. appreciate Tussled, Lena, and Sid for being part of our team. We couldn't do it without them. Um, and we can't wait to talk to you next week for our next episode upcoming um, on K is for Kinky. So tune in next Wednesday. For and thank our, you to our everybody talk. for just everyone who supports us. We really appreciate you. Bye. Bye.